ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. It's Joe George, assistant to the regional manager, and Mark Queen B. Behind the glass, it is a Wednesday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Josh Beard's new to this uh, to this radio station. Uh, some would say he's new to radio. Just kidding. Just kidding. We're gonna have to teach him how to shut a door. All right. Teach him how to shut a door. I shut it. Joe's looking around the corner like, well, the door's shut. What do you... I shut it. I got up, and I went and shut the door. I was going to come shut it. We live in a society. We, we live in a, a you know a society and a, and a company where we're all colleagues. We're all colleagues together, and he didn't shut the door. Can you believe that? Oh, yeah. That's far for the... <laughs> you can believe that. Based on the lineups <laughs> I've been through and the people that have been through the lineups around here, that's pretty much par for the course that everybody worries just about themselves and or unless you want to start like Fight Club, yeah. then it's something that every, everybody wants to kumbaya on. Otherwise, it's basically what a lot of people do around here. Beard also went with the alpha move where he tried to bring in the biggest water cooler to try to act like a big boy. I just want to tell you, I got this son of a gun. A little half... Actually, I think it's a full gallon. Full gallon water container... Just remember who the big boys are, because this is this is the largest one you can find. I think, unlike a pair of shorts, this is great whenever you're walking. Most of the other big boys would wear, but so there you go. That looks like a protein container, <laughs> like when you go to the I GNC feel like, or whatever. I that's feel, the size of the protein you get. The, the way I've been eating lately, Blankers, I feel like 150 grams of protein might not fit in that container because I've been stuffed to the gills. Eating all this is protein. it all powder or is it? There's nothing in here. No, actually. no, you. When you're consuming no. all the protein, are you powder or chicken breast? I did. Or? Uh, I did a <laughs> riveting stuff to uh, start the show. No, Sorry, but Versace. I mean, we lost your money. Like, no, I did a. Picks. I do. I do a, a workout shape when I work out. So I drink two or three of those a year. Uh, but the chicken breast for uh-huh. sure. Chicken yep. breast for lunch, and I'm trying to eat some. Uh, dinner's kind of a wild card. Like I did. Uh, I did tacos on a Tuesday, but I did lettuce tacos, which, there you go. Brand on beautification. Wait, wait, wait. Brand on beautification. Lettuce and no protein? No, the lettuce were the shells of the taco. I had hamburger oh, meat. And then I put, like, taco seasoning. Did all the, Me and my wife made it. She did a, grand, a great job. Uh, Astros won a baseball game yesterday. Not only did the Astros win a baseball game yesterday, but the Blue Jays lost. The Mariners lost to the single A's. How about that? So the Astros, as they get set for play, in a couple of minutes, let's be honest, in a couple of minutes. Uh, the Astros are now in a virtual tie for first place at the top of the American League West. They now have a three-and-a-half game lead on Toronto, and they've all but eliminated the Boston Red Sox from jumping them with just 28 games to play. Yesterday was almost everything that you could have asked for a Houston Astro perspective. I, I think from a microcosm standpoint, it could be their calling card the rest of the season and the playoffs. You know, we're coming here to mash. We're coming here to put crooked numbers on the board. We're going to score runs. We're going to be offensive in a lot of ways. And if we get anywhere close to good starting pitching, you could be in serious trouble. And you got the J.P. France that we're used to seeing. We saw indications and heard of things that maybe he indeed was tipping last time against the Red Sox a little bit because it seemed to be just so abnormal from what has been an extraordinary season for him. Nice to see him find another quality start, almost, but good enough for us in terms of our version of a quality start. The offense supports him. The bullpen does its job. 
And this is, again, the calling card for Houston Astros baseball, I think, going forward. Yeah, I think you can you can trust J.P. France for sure. Like, after that, the second, you know, the two starts ago against Boston where he got lit up, where he got rocked, you kind of, okay, I wa- you, you start to wonder a little bit. You start to let your mind wander. Did, you know, is J.P. France pitching way better than what J.P. France is? Uh, did this J.P. France magical ride come to an end? Because he got lit up. He got lit up against Boston. So, like, yesterday's start was big in terms of like our perception of JP France. What we're going to think of JP France. Cuz if JP France went out there and he got lit up again, you know, the the Red Sox touch him up for 10 runs in 3 innings something like that, we're not going to be very confident in JP France. But when JP France goes out and he has the performance he did yesterday against the very team that lit him up the previous start and he goes 5 and 2 thirds, gives up two runs, a few hits scattered around, doesn't walk many, walk just one, you know, strikes out three, which is kind of what JP France does, pitches to, you know, to soft contact, doesn't strike out a lot. What he did yesterday just reaffirmed our belief again in JP France and like you mentioned, the, the pitch tipping type of stuff that was brought up even you know when they were facing the Red Sox two starts ago and France was getting lit up. France addressed it yesterday as well. You can look back to that start and say, well, that was just an anomaly. You hope that's an anomaly, and with the way that France pitched yesterday, it looks like it was an anomaly, and we can trust J.P. France again. Yeah, look, you and I are talking about maybe the most important thing to watch in last night's game, and that was J.P. France because we know that they have a lot of offense. We know that they have talent. We know the bullpen's going to have some struggles, but for the most part, you know, you know who they are. But you needed to figure out, kind of on the uh, on the fast track, if J.P. France was going to be a guy that was going to be consistent like he's been all year to be one of your top three or four starters. You found that out, I think, last night. I think you know that this guy is learning how to pitch with every start, but he has a killer. He's got an attack killer mentality when he's out there. He can stay focused. He can place his pitches where he needs to. He can bring a little extra when he has to, and he can get the job done for you and that is so hyper important when you don't know if Javier can, when you don't know some things that you're still trying to work out with the rest of your starters. So it was great to see that from him, and it's it's great to kind of take a big sigh of relief and go, okay, I think that he's one of the guys that we can count on. Yeah, he looked uh, he looked good again yesterday. Uh, that third inning was kind of. Uh... Kind of unlucky, really. Give up that one run in the third inning. You look back at it. You had the Baltimore chop over the drawn in. Jose Abreu, who was holding the runner on at first. Uh, you had the error by Bregman, which was kind of uncharacteristic of Bregman. Looked like to me he was trying to rush a double play instead of just guaranteeing one. Now, they ended up getting the double play to the very next hitter, so I don't really think it cost the Astros. Like, that run's going to score even if you don't turn two on the Bregman error. And then you turn two the very next hitter, which you've only needed one. So I don't think it really cost him in terms of, like, you know, runs given up. And then uh, Adam Duvall, who just for some reason destroys Houston Astros pitching. I mean, the guy hits a home run every single time he's at bat, it seems. He hits a home run every single time that they play the Houston Astros. He, he got him for that home run, which was the final hitter that Jay. J.P. France faced, hit that solo shot in the sixth. Uh, but all in all, good start for J.P. France. I did see some people discussing the the hook on J.P. France. A lot, some people wanted Dusty Baker to leave France uh, in for one more hitter. You know, he went five and two-thirds. You get one more hitter. You can get through six complete. Would have been a quality start if we pay attention to that. He was at 93 pitches. What did, what did you think of Dusty's hook last night? I was watching the pitch count, to be honest with you. And, and, and I was thinking this along those same lines of you'd like to get him through six. I understand that's a quality start. But just to get him through six so you can start the bullpen with a clean inning and, and you can just get to the back end of your bullpen that you trust. 
Um, but I had a little doubt that where he was in his pitch count and also in the situation with the chance that you could possibly really kind of condense the lead that you had if you made a mistake there with two outs, I was fine with the decision. I understood the decision, and I'm not going to argue with the decision. I, I was fine with it, too, and it actually didn't cost you a bullet. Like, some of the people that were arguing this, well, well it cost you a bullet. It cost you going with another reliever. Mon- Montero would have had the seventh inning regardless, and Montero got the final out of the sixth inning, and then he pitched the entire seventh. So you didn't waste a bullet. I, I was encouraged that Montero was able to get four hitters out. I know he's been doing that like in kind of mop-up situations late in games that are controlled where you're trying to save the bullpen. Montero's kind of getting into some higher leverage spots. I thought yesterday was kind of a higher leverage spot. I know it was still a four-run game, but it's a four-run game in the sixth inning where you're trying to escape an inning and then get you into the back third of that game. So it didn't cost you a bullet because Montero pitched the, the final out of the sixth. He pitched the entire seventh inning as well. So I, I was not critical at all of the Dusty Hook. I thought I thought Dusty played it well. And the worst thing you get in that spot, too, is what, what if France gives up another hit after like an eight-pitch at bat, where now you're looking where you have to pull France because he's at 100 pitches, over 100 pitches, and now you're going to another reliever with a runner on base. So I, I was actually... I thought it was a good hook. I thought it was a good hook from Dusty Baker in that spot. No, I did too, and I think that you could tell what it meant to Montero because he knows how desperately he wants to get back to where he once was. I did hold my breath. I think it was the next inning when it looked like he got barreled up for what looked like a bomb to right field, and it was off the end of the bat and a fly ball. But overall, you knew it meant something to him based on the reaction when he got out of the six. I like that. Yeah, and and I like it too because it shows that money isn't everything and that he cares, and he wants to get back where he was. So that was encouraging, and I'm with you 100%. Look, if you'd have burned a bullet if you had to go to another pitcher. But because he was able to come out fresh in the start of a next inning and get you through, it, no harm, no foul at all, and it actually helps you because the only thing you do lose is France's ability to get a quality start. But he gets a win. You get to move on, and and you know all's well that ends well. And we're feeling good about France. Like, mm-hmm. we're feeling good even though he didn't get that quality start, which is a fake stat. You, you know that's anyways. why that's a good point, too, though, is because remember that was a couple starts ago when Fromber went seven, and he was strong, and he gave up minimal runs and hits, and then Dusty put him back out there in, like, the eighth, mm-hmm. and then all hell broke loose, and suddenly we're talking about Fromber doesn't have it anymore, and yep. Fromber looks bad. First seven innings, we weren't saying that. So you're right. That is key that J.P. France was able to walk off the mound and then hold his head up high in the media afterwards saying, I pitched well, as opposed to one hiccup at the wrong time, and there's a totally different story being written. Good hook. Good hook from Dusty Baker. Now, France, after the game, uh, talking about, you know, was he tipping his last start against Boston? Well, let's be let's be honest. I mean, Alex Cora is the best cheater in baseball history. You know, what he did in 17 with the Astros and then carried it over to 18. He's the best cheater in, in baseball history, this Alex Cora, and he's really good at picking up, you know, tips from pitchers. France, after the game yesterday, uh, he's, he, he kind of opened up to it a little bit, but also was trying to like be responsible for his bad outing, which I appreciate. But France said he was just a little bit in the glove, just how I was coming set, a couple of tweaks, but for the most part, the biggest thing was just execution. Look, he, uh, that to me tells me that Murphy and Miller found something that Alex Cora probably knew, which makes me feel better about two starts ago where he got lit up. He corrected it against the very same team that was picking up his pitches, and he performed really well. That was encouraging. Well, and you know what? You know how simple it can be. Like, if a guy goes at the bottom of his set, and that's when he gets the grip on a breaking pitch, and, and a hitter or a manager in this case or someone in the dugout sees the glove shake a little bit, they, they're, they're going to assume it's a breaking pitch. If it is, then if it happens consistently, he's tipping his pitches. That's why a lot of pitchers, no matter what, are always shaking and moving their glove when they get down to the bottom of the set and come set. It's just a little tweak. Video helps you to be able to solve the problem, and then it's just a matter of muscle memory stopping it, 
and you're good. Yeah, and he, he looked good yesterday. Bullpen did its part as well. One, one of the strengths of this team, the bullpen was really good. We just mentioned Rafael Montero. Uh, got you four outs. Did, did give up a couple of base runners in that seventh inning. Hector Neris, three up, three down. Brian Abreu with the rain falling down maybe wasn't his best in terms of command. But the bullpen gives you three and a third of shutout relief. You're going to take that each and every time. Yeah, my big thing there with Abreu is the exact same th- thing you said. Look, it would be easy to nitpick him or say, you know, he just he, he wasn't high, he wasn't dialed in. He, he wasn't controlling his stuff. But when that light drizzle and that fog turned into literally a downpour that they weren't going to stop the game for because they all wanted to get the hell out of there and not delay the game <laughs> with the rain delay. That's a tough spot to be in. And, and trying to locate pitches and get a grip on the baseball can be challenging. So. Yeah, I don't think that that's anything to be concerned about or criticized. And I think they, you know, obviously Presley wasn't available. So to do what they did, get through it the way that they were able to get through it, and now move on to today, winning four in a row is a very, very positive sign for the Astros. I would have liked to see Presley in that game and didn't know until afterwards that he was sick. But I I, want to get Presley back out there after he blew that save. It's been a while now. I mean, blew it Friday, hasn't pitched since then. You know, I kind of want to get him back out there, but that was before I knew that he he was under the weather. Maybe he's available today. Uh, Look, look, I know in that our previous time slot, we would always joke around and say that the Astros play at 3.05 when they played in the middle of our show. We'll be transparent. Astros are playing right now. Uh, We'll discuss the Astros whenever they're done in Boston. We'll get to some other things about the Astros as well. Plus, we got to talk about them when we come back because Jordan is back because he's crushing the baseball again at Fenway. Michael Brantley is also back, and I'll be honest with you, I'd rather see the 0 for 4 that we saw from Brantley last night than a 2 for 4 game with a couple of bleeders. 713 780 ESPN, the HRP listener line, 713 780 3776. On Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's a Pac Man Joe. He's a Pac-Man Joel. He's at Joe George Radio. Joker's to the left of me, clowns to the right. I'm Jeremy Branham. A lot to get to today. Texans at four as we continue our countdown. Also, I'm going to speak on the behalf of Kenyon Green a little bit later. I'm mad on his behalf. Nick Casario, don't love the way he handled this situation. Don't love the way he built this offensive line, knowing some things about Kenyon Green with some of his comments from earlier today. But coming up next, Jordan is back. Brantley is back. How are you feeling about this Astros team? 713-780-3776. Killer Reese, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Informed opinions are oftentimes presented here. You're locked in with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. Who is more back? Jordan Alvarez or Michael Brantley? Because Jordan Alvarez is on an absolute tear for the Houston Astros. You look at what he did yesterday. Three more hits. Hit a homer. Wrapped it around Pesky's pole. Uh, didn't record it out the day before. But then Michael Brantley came back. First time we see Michael Brantley in an Astros uniform in 2023. Who is more back, Jordan Alvarez or Michael Brantley? I think the easy answer is Jordan. Because Jordan is back in full swing. Jordan is hitting home runs, but, you know, and you can say, well, it was Pesky's pole and it was a short porch and it was, you know, not like a moonshot. It doesn't matter. It, it, it got off the bat in a laser, be- like a laser beam, and it was a rocket. And the fact is, we've been saying for the last couple of weeks, and Dusty's been saying as well, he's just a little tick off. Well, he's not a tick off anymore. Now he's ticked off that he hasn't been hitting home runs, and he's got two in this series. And, and you look at it and you say, there's a guy that is getting built back up to everything that we knew he was capable of doing before the injury. In Brantley's case, it's no slap on him. That's his first game back in over a year. And and look what he's been able to do. I mean, he barreled up four baseballs. Yeah, he hit him at somebody. But 
we we said going into the game last night, let's see and let's make sure that we see a guy that isn't overmatched by a 95-plus mile-an-hour fastball that looks like he, you know he's back to his old self with a, a good idea. Boy, some of the pitches that he spit on yesterday and didn't swing at were right on the border, and, and they went his way for the most part. I thought they were quality at bats. I thought he barreled the baseball, and I got nothing to complain about with Michael Brantley. Yeah, uh, Jordan being back back is something that this team needs, I think, to kind of reach its ceiling, reach its potential. Because Jordan Alvarez, when he's right, is arguably the best offensive player in all of baseball. And you can see the damage that he's done in the last two games of the series whenever he's right. So it's incredibly encouraging to, to get Jordan Alvarez producing at the level that he's produced. Loves Fenway. He would, if you gave Jordan Alvarez a full year at Fenway Park, he would do some stupid damage because he's probably going to hook some down the right field line down Pesky's pole. He's going to hit homers over the monster. He's going to hit little pop fly doubles off the monster. Uh, a full season for Jordan at Fenway Park would be nightmarish on other pitchers uh in terms of michael brantley look everything that you said is something that i'm also going to say he didn't look overmatched look i would take that 0 for 4 for michael brantley yesterday then two for four with a couple of texas leaguers two yeah. for four with some seeing eye singles because you won the game anyway so it's not like you needed a couple of hits from michael brantley but when you look at what Fran- uh, brantley did in his first four at bats he was 102 off the bat he was 99 off the bat he was 98 off the bat he was 104 off the bat. Michael Brantley and his four at-bats hit the baseball hard. And in terms of evaluating what Michael Brantley is going to mean to the Houston Astros going forward, it's not a couple of hits in a box score when you already won the baseball game. It's How does he look at the plate? It's the eye test we talked about yesterday. Is he hitting the ball hard? Does he look overmatched? Uh, he didn't. He hit the ball hard, didn't look overmatched, and I was impressed with a few of his takes as well. He was spitting on some tough pitches, and people were kind of mocking the Astros and Brantley uh, for not coming up sooner. Like, well, why are you taking this weekend with a space Cowboys we need you now and Brantley went into Dusty Baker's office and and had a real honest conversation gave a real honest answer I think it was for timing I don't think it was Brantley has you know is is hurting with his shoulder because he played the next two days it wasn't an injury thing Brantley wanted the extra weekend in Sugarland to make sure that his timing was right so he could hit the ground running and I know he was over yesterday hit the ball hard four times a couple of really good takes I was really encouraged with the 0 for 4 for Michael Brantley last yeah, night. I think the other thing, getting back to the point I made, too, about his eye at the plate, too, a lot of times when it's your first game back, especially in that length of time, whenever there's a lot of eyes watching and finger pointing and pressure, you have a tendency to rush. You have a tendency to be over-anxious. He's got that steady heartbeat where he just came back and got right back in the box, and just like riding a bike again, he got right back in, and the fact that he was able to look for his pitches, and if it wasn't, able to lay off of pitches on the corners, inside, outside, on the edges. Whether he got down 0-2 in a count or not, he was still the same kind of hitter. And that's the, that's exactly the plate discipline that I wanted to see as well as being able to catch up with fastballs to where if he's barreling up baseballs, I have no – this isn't like John Singleton or Corey Jolks. When, oh, he's struggling, but boy, he's hitting it at people. If you can see all the things you saw to Michael Brantley again today that you saw yesterday, last night, there's nothing to worry about with him in, the, in this lineup no matter where Dusty chooses to hit him. Yeah, seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Like, who's more back, Joe George, Brantley Jordan. or Jordan? Jordan was ridiculous I mean, last year. He games. just it's so interesting. You know, he's not using his own bats. What? He's using Mauricio Dubon's bats. So did they trade bats? Because Dubon's been using Jordan's bats. Yeah, so I was listening to the, the radio call and and they were saying that after Jordan got hurt, that like he started using Dubon's at bats because it made like his finger or whatever the issue was, it it just felt better. So he's been using Dubon's bat. And Altuve, when he hit the cycle, he used Yiner Diaz's bats. 
They're just playing like bat roulette right now, apparently. Why? Like, Great question. This, so they're weird. into stick swapping. That's what we got going now. Yep. Everybody's swapping sticks. Yep. Hilarious. Okay. <laughs> that's uh, that's puzzling to me simply on the weight of each bat. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, like uh, what what is Dubon swinging? What it's is Jordan swinging? Right? I, I know, know that they're think, been, well. They're bent little guys. Well, I mean, they use like, really heavy bats is in the Dubon, past. Dubon like using the same size bat as Jordan Alvarez with a different handle. Jordan's arms are the size of Dubon's legs. What's so yeah, the, I think they would use different ounce bats. But Dubon's been using Jordan's bat. It's the first time I heard that Jordan was using Dubon's Alfonso bat. Alfonso Suriano used to use like a thirty-eight or thirty-nine yeah. ounce bat. It's the heaviest bat in baseball. Yeah, so weird. And that, that was crazy for a guy that size. But I can't believe that Dubon and Jordan are swinging the same weighted bat, bizarre. let alone the same length. And the, the, with Brantley, I, at first, like when I when I heard the news that he wasn't coming back and he stayed in Sugarland, I was like, "That's really weird." But you know, it's it's so interesting because the last time Michael Brantley played baseball, the pitch clock didn't exist. So it's like this is a big change for him. He's had very little spring training or no spring training. He's had two rehab assignments. This is like his first chance. He got a little taste of it his first time in Sugarland. Yeah, so he's had like what six games? No, I mean Seven you're talking games? about with the pitch clock. I mean, yeah. He played. He played in like 15 games in his first inning. That's played, what I what, thought. Six Wasn't or seven in his last inning. He was playing every other day for for a 20 day stretch. So maybe 12 ish. 10, 12. Let's see here. Let's see I didn't Michael Brantley. Played that much. In the Brantley first played quite a bit his first in. Like he, he, I think he went the full amount of time, and he was playing every other day were, while he was going the full amount of time. Yeah, you had brought that up about how long he had to be able to be down there, and he was down there a significant amount of time. Twenty days for a hitter, and it's thirty for a pitcher. So if he was, I mean, maybe he was ten. Maybe he was ten before he. Well, they play six games a week, so it's probably like ten, twelve, somewhere around that. But he was playing every other day. So six. They they never back to back him. He played this year sixteen games with with Triple A Sugarland. Yeah. So that, that's that's both rehab assignments though. So that's it's not a lot. Both. It's probably ten and six because yeah. he stayed a little longer in Sugarland the first time. It, yeah. Right? yeah. So I think it was ten about ten. I would I would guess it was ten the first time and about six this last forty seven at bats. So I mean he's he's had a taste of the pitch clock. Like it, it, is, small, it doesn't but... it doesn't take long for a hitter to get adjusted to the pitch clock. Like there's some things that you have to like get adjusted with like initially. But once you've done it ten times, well, you have a, a really good idea. He's such a pro; like he'd probably be the last person I'd be considered. I'd now, be worried about. He's talked openly about how much he hates it. Well, yeah, he's talked openly about how much he oh, hates it. Doesn't clock, like yeah. it. Yeah, well, he's like thirty-six clock. years I, old, and you're changing his whole life. Yeah. Can I ask you guys one thing that was a little bit? I don't say concerning, but I would have liked to seen him get a few more balls in the outfield. He, he only fight, had one, right? Yeah, he only got a fly ball in like the sixth inning, and I was like, yeah, I would have liked to seen. Kind of like his path to baseballs and his quick, just a little bit of t- quick twitch to see what he could do in the outfield in case yeah. the ball got hit in the corner or something. But uh, I mean, that's I, I guess I'm wishing for too much. But I saw enough of the plate that I'm not concerned. I would like to see him get a few plays in the outfield to see where he's. At. We didn't get a real good look of him defensively. You're right. right. Uh, Eight four three seven. Brantley's been on the bench this whole time, watching how the game moves now with pitch clock. Anyways, I can't imagine there was a whole lot of adjustment needed to be made. It's a good point, but it's different when you're in the box. It's different when you're in the box versus watching it from the dugout. Like, seeing live pitches, little different when you're in the box versus when you're in the dugout. Adjusting to a pitch clock and, the, like, the cadence with it, a little different when you're in the, the, the box versus in the dugout. The routine, too. Like, guys, especially when you've been out that long, whether you got a call against you you didn't like or something happened, you're used to stepping out whenever you want, adjusting your batting gloves, regrouping, getting back in. It's kind of like what you were talking about yesterday with, with uh, the pitch clock with, with Javier, but this is a hitter that has his own routine. And when, for whatever reason, Altuve used to step out on every pitch and adjust his batting gloves. 
Guys get into their routine, and that creates a rhythm. And I know Mike also has the bat tap on his shoulder when he's in the box, but it is an adjustment when all of a sudden you only get one time out that's an extended time to step out of the box. Otherwise, you can't do what you used to do, and that is something that you got to adjust to. Yeah, yeah it's, it's much different. But uh, great to see Brantley back. I, I'm with you. It would have been nice to see him play a little bit of defense. Hopefully we get to see that. Here's, here's a tricky question for you. Game 7, ALCS, the Astros Invitational. You're up, let's say you're playing a home game. You're up a run, top of the ninth inning. Runners at second and third, two outs. There is a, let's call it a 40% catch probability play down the left field line where you have to attack in. So kind of a Texas leaguer, it's falling quick, left field line. You need your left fielder to run in towards the line to make the catch. You want that to be Jordan Alvarez? Do you want that to be Michael Brantley? I mean, for me... That's it, such an unfair question. No, it's it not. Is. Because that, that, that's not an unfair question. Because that is likely going to be a decision Dusty has to make. Now, you could go defensive replacement, well, bring in Jay, like, move, who, move wish, Chaz to left. I wish we could answer that question in like 10 days. But if because, you're going to make okay, me answer it right now, you're on Alvarez. Because you don't have the intel of what Brantley looks like yet, like Joel yeah. was saying. That's yeah, a good, that's a good point. Like a that's, a good point. that's a good point. Yeah, but he also good. has Alvarez. the history of making a play like that when you really needed yep. it in the playoffs. That one was closer into the gap than the line, but very similar. And then he popped up and made a hell of a throw, too, if I were call so i mean you know you're you're leaning towards what you remember and know he can do but jordan's got a cannon he's younger he doesn't exactly have show blazing speed and quickness but i would believe jordan could make the play better yeah i would i see i'm going brantley i'm going opposite of you guys give me the experience give me the guy who's going to get a better read off the bat now i I agree with you that jordan's faster there's no doubt about Mm -hmm. that but i don't know something about that sage wisdom for Ground rule double, Michael Brantley. 713-780-ESPN, the HRMP listener line, 713-780-3776. I'm mad on the behalf of Kenyon Green. The Houston Texans, specifically Nick Casario, did this kid wrong, and it's sick. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, right now I want to tell you about the good people at MyBookie. I've been telling you about MyBookie, but now it's even more important that I tell you about them because, of course, football season is here. That means you want to make every game more exciting. You want to put game, money down on games that you have a vested interest in and some that you don't. You want to bet on college. You want to bet on pro. You want to bet with the spreads. You want to bet all the different ways and angles that you might have some inside information or a feeling that might get you paid. That's why you go to mybookie.ag. And when you go to mybookie.ag to do it, like I always tell you to do, you put in the promo code BET975 whenever and wherever you can because you're going to reap the benefits. The benefits are bonuses. The bonuses, they go in your account. You put in $1 amount, you put in the code, you get a bonus, you've got more than that dollar amount in your account, ready to go, ready for you to bet on games. And more money in your account means more games to bet on and more chances to win. And when you win, you're going to get paid because they like to take care of their customers. And you as a customer are exactly who they're looking to please. So check it out today, mybookie.ag. Use that promo code BET975. And if you've already got an account, you can do the same thing. Put in the promo code BET975, get a reload bonus. You, too, can reap the benefits. It's absolutely fantastic, and it's all because you bet at mybookie.ag. Check them out today and also bet on baseball as we go down the stretch and into the playoffs. Soccer, if you want to bet on that, or UFC. And if you like casino betting, they have live dealers standing by waiting for you to play some casino games as well. Check them out. I'm telling you, it's mybookie.ag, promo code BET975. 
You're back where you belong, in the Veritex Community Bank Studios with the killer bees who won't sting you unless provoked. Here's Joel and Jeremy. Uh, Blankers, I'm going to speak on the behalf of Kenyon Green here. We, we know what happened yesterday. Kenyon Green placed on IR. You get placed on the IR before the start of the season. Your season is over. So Kenyon Green, sophomore year, over before it began. Uh, we know that he missed OTAs. We know that he worked to get ready for training camp. We mentioned how he looked out of shape. He looked out of shape at the start of training camp. Looked a little, you know, didn't look like a professional athlete, which is a little embarrassing for a guy who's a professional athlete. Uh, started to get run with the ones. Like he was left guard one from day two of training camp all the way up to the New Orleans Saints game, which all of a sudden he's running with the twos. He had the embarrassing, you know, Olay play where he let the dude get right around him and then he had the shoulder injury. Nick Casario spoke today. And listening to Nick Casario speak today on behalf of Kenyon Green made me livid. It made me mad. I was irate after listening to Nick Casario talk and then understanding, too, what Kenyon Green has been through. The ridicule of being out of shape, looking out of shape. The ridicule of going viral on Twitter because some guy spun around him when he wasn't healthy. Nick Casario today talking about Kenyon Green's injury and said this has been something that's been bothering him since May. It was just a matter of, you know, when not if he, this was going to happen. So I, I'd say, and D'Amico made a comment the other day, you know, he's proud of, of the player, proud of the kid for, I'd say, mental and physical toughness that he showed. I think he was dealing with a lot of things physically. Um, he was dealing with some things, I would say, on a personal level as well. Um, and at some point, if a player is in a position that his condition or situation puts him at a disadvantage, it's not fair to the player, it's not fair to the team, and it's not fair to the individual. So... Um, so in the end, you know, this is, I'd say, in the game, you know, it may have been exacerbated a little bit. But, again, we knew in May this was a possibility. Um, to his credit, I mean, he worked through it. Um, and I'd say did the best he could with the situation that he was given. And in the end, we just felt for the betterment of the team and the player that this was the best decision. So. So much to talk about Ooh, here boy. when it comes to Casario. First off, he says not fair to the player, fair to the individual. Let you you let him go through camp the entire time, knowing it was a matter of when, not if. You allowed people like me, you allowed jokers and hot take artists like me to talk poorly about Kenyon Green's shape, how he looked a little bit, you know, pudgy. He didn't look like an NFL athlete. Looked like he had a long way to go from start of training camp to the NFL regular season. You allowed Kenyon Green again an injury that was a matter of when, not if, and he's been doing. He's been living through this since May. You will let you benched him for a guy you cut and Michael Dieter. By the way, you let him play against another NFL team. You let him go viral on a misplay while he's hurt. You just said it was not fair to the player, fair to the individual to allow those guys to play when they're injured. Let you you let Kenyon Green do this since May to get embarrassed along the way. That ticked me off hearing Nick Casario say that. Well, you're going to know exactly where I'm going to get ticked off because this is Lance McCullough's situation only worse. This is when we were dealing with the forearm discomfort in the playoffs two years ago and that I kept saying there has to be a medical procedure that can take care of this. But it's one thing if the team or the doctors or there's doubt of whether he needs a surgery or like you had said, we don't know if a surgery is going to fix this. We don't know what the, you know what the correction surgery would actually be if that's the case, whatever. But then two years later, we fast forward. He gets an event. Eventually, he gets surgery. And you're like, why couldn't this have happened sooner? 
But that's one thing with all the things with the Astros. When you're talking about the Texans and you hear this, it should chap your ass as a fan. Football people, the players, associate, everybody should be going, what the hell does that mean? And what are you doing to this kid? His second year in the league, and you know it's inevitable something's going to happen. And instead of nipping it in the bud and taking care of it in May and then seeing what the recovery time is and how he comes back so that he going forward for the rest of his careers and damaged goods, you go out there and say, hey, tough it out, kid. If you can, let's see what you can get out of this before it goes. You know why I think they had him try to tough it out, too? Like, I'm sure Kenyon Green wanted to play. Kenyon sure. Green wanted to be a gamer. Kenyon Green wanted to go out there and show that he's better than what he put on tape and put on film a year ago. I understand that. Like, he's a player. He's a competitor. He wants to go out and compete. I get it. But we talk about this all the time, how general managers, how coaches have to protect the player from the player. Nick Casario flat out said today, it's not fair to the player. It's not fair to the individual, and they're playing hurt. Yet you knew since May that Kenyon Green was hurt and you allow him to go out there for all the ridicule. The reason that I think Nick Casario did it is because I think Nick Casario knows that he's being very criticized for drafting Kenyon Green. And when you're critical of being dra- like drafting a certain player, you want that guy to play so they can play well and you're no longer criticized. Because, look, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Kenyon Green going to the IR like should not tell you if Kenyon Green's a bust or not. Let's see how he responds. Let's see how he gets back into shape. Let's see if he can come back year three, year four, and be a much different player than year one and year two. But even with that, the entire conversation around the city is that Kenyon Green is a bust. The moment he got placed on the IR... Kenyon Green is a bust. Who drafted Kenyon Green? Nick Casario. When Nick Casario drafted Kenyon Green, was he questioned about it? Yes, he was absolutely questioned about it. I believe that Nick Casario wanted Kenyon Green to play through injury so he would be less criticized for selecting Kenyon Green, which is a shame. It's an absolute travesty. And then also, you look at this two blankers from like a player, like, building a roster, looking at it from a 53-man. We talked about it yesterday because the offensive line's currently in shambles. If you knew that Kenyon Green was already injured in May, and look, I understand that free agency usually is done before May, although there's a couple of players out in free agency that wouldn't mind being on this team, but you also have Kenyon Green's rookie film, right? You also have the film that Kenyon Green put on display a year ago. How did Nick Casario build this roster knowing that Kenyon Green was not very good as a rookie? Yeah, let's, let's say that Casario didn't know until May that Kenyon Green was hurt. I have a hard time believing that, but we don't have proof otherwise. So it took Nick Casario all the way till May until he realized that Kenyon Green was going to have, again, a matter of when, not if, shoulder surgery at some point. How do you go into the season with Kenyon Green as your left guard one? Michael D who you cut yesterday as your left guard, too. That's that's the bigger thing to me. When was the draft, the NFL draft? It was uh, April. April, right? All of a sudden in May, because now you can't, it, when this all surfaces, you can't go back and say, why don't you address this also in, in April in the draft? Well, we didn't know about it till May. But then when you knew about it in May, why didn't you do something about it immediately? You've got a secret that no one else knows. Well, then you better plan accordingly. If you know that this kid is damaged goods, you know that he could go at any time, you damn well better do the same thing you did when you went out and made the trade to get Shaq and you were trying to enhance this offensive line. You damn well should have been exploring every option in the league as well, especially as they went into the offseason and they had to make serious moves, cuts, and, and salary dumps to understand there were other guys out there that played the other side of the line that could have given you something. But you know why, Jeremy? He probably didn't want to do that either because then when he made that move, people were going to immediately say, aha, he's a bust. Aha, what we saw was not just rookie blues of a first-round draft pick. It was this guy might not be able to play, and now he's covering his butt and going to get a veteran. That's probably why he didn't do it, but it's no excuse now knowing what we know why he, he should have done it. 
It admits it, it admits mistake. That's right. If if you sign a left guard one to even to compete with Kenyon Green, it it sends out the message that the red flag. I might have gotten this one yeah. wrong. The red flag's up in the air, and everybody's pointing a finger, going, "Uh oh, they See, they made a mistake." But it, you, the way they built their offensive line too, like you re-sign Laramie Tunsil. Okay, uh, you know, not a whole lot of pushback on re-signing Laramie Tunsil. Although I think there's some fair points to make against re-signing Laramie Tunsil. Uh, Titus Howard, top five right tackle money, which I think is an overpay for Titus Howard, to be completely honest, but I can understand why they did it. They want to protect a rookie quarterback. They want to lock in like you know the, the, the offensive line going forward with these draft picks, drafting Juice Scruggs, trading for Shaq Mason. Like, But with Kenyon Green, what he put on film a year ago, I already wanted a left guard to at least compete with Kenyon Green. Maybe not be the starter, but at least compete with Kenyon Green. Nick Casario should have done the same thing. I think you're right. I think he was a little defensive there and didn't want to admit mistake when it comes to Kenyon Green being a reach in the 2022 NFL draft. But now you've put yourself in a position where you're kind of screwed entering the first week of the season. You have no idea who your left guard's going to be. No clue. But why didn't they just have the surgery in May? That's the the other part of this conversation. Listen to how stupid this sounds, okay? The the Texans' left guard gets put on injured reserve yesterday and he's out for the entire season. We Mm -hmm. went over that on the show. If they would have had the surgery before and done it today, he's only out four games. Like, a 24-hour yeah. difference is four games versus 17. See, I didn't so even like, I didn't even think about it from a 2023 perspective. Like, like they're, he they're could talk, have been ready. But that's you're why right, I brought up right. the McCullough situation. The minute you know that something's up with it, just do it. it. Take care of it. The, I was looking at it from a 2024 perspective, and it's a great point, Joe. Like, yeah, if you do it in May, then maybe he gives you some football in 2023 in the back half of the year. I'm looking at it from a 2024 perspective. If we just make the assumption, and it's probably not fair to make this assumption based on your point, Joe, but let's make the assumption for a moment. You have the surgery in May, your 2023 season's done. Having it now, obviously, his 2023 season is done. Let's just assume that his 2023 season was done no matter what, even if he had the surgery in May. What's going to make him a better football player in 2024? Being... 11 months removed from shoulder surgery as he tries to go back to training camp or being 14, 15 months removed from shoulder surgery trying to get back to training camp. Even if you bang 2023 all together, May versus now, what puts him in a better chance to have success in 2024? May! Yeah, th- this thing no is doubt. wrong that's, all the way around. That's why I brought up the McCullough situation. Like The minute you knew that there was an imminent problem, and again, we don't know to the extent that we're being told they knew about Kenyon Green, but I was harping for McCullers to get whatever it is fixed before the playoffs were even over so that you could already get the rehab start process started so he'd be ready for the following season. If you had done the same thing with Kenyon Green, to Joe's point, we would not be dealing with this now, and you'd be dealing with a guy that's already been well on the mend to be a guy that maybe he helps you this year, but more so than anything else, he is going to be at, at his best possible self, hopefully, by the start of training camp next season. Now you're scratching your temple going, the hell took you so long? Yeah, this is um, – we Gary calls all the time, and he talks about how he feels yes. like Nick Casario is incompetent, that he's overwhelmed, that he's in over his head. This feels like a situation where Nick Casario is in over his head. Something else that Nick Casario said today when talking about Kenyon Green on why he didn't have surgery in May that, again, is going to leave you baffled. And also the D'Amico Ryans. Remember what he said after the Saints game about Kenyon Green? Like, it sounded like a coach that felt sorry for Kenyon Green. Almost like he felt sorry for Kenyon Green based on what this organization
organization had to put the kid through. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Listen up, sports bettors, all of you. It's like everybody listening to us. I'm here to tell you about my favorite sports book and casino, and that's BetUS.com. Football is back, and that means it's time to lay down your bets. I only endorse one sports book and casino, and that's BetUS.com. Why are they the only one? Well, BetUS is celebrating its 30th year of sports betting service with a special offer this football season. Up to 30 risk-free bets. That's right, up to 30 risk-free bets. It's called Bet Protect. If that isn't enough, BetUS offers the industry's biggest 125% sign-up bonus. That's right, 125% sign-up bonus, biggest in the industry. And there's even more. BetUS.com will offer you a massive 200% crypto sign-up bonus and 250% casino bonus. The game always gets more exciting with a bet, but you can you can take it to another level at BetUSA.com with their live in-game betting. Don't wait. Take advantage of their 30th year offer right now. Up to 30 risk free bets. Get Bet Protect. Get started today by visiting betus.com or give them a call at 1 800 MyBetUS. That's 1 800 692 3887 to learn all about their bonuses and special offers. 1 800 MyBetUS, betus.com, sportsbook and casino, where the game begins. Time to get back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank, and Jeremy Branham. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. Class is in a session. Fishing with Dana on the Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. Why are we acting like this guy's an all-pro? We're not. Nick Casario was the only person that was acting like Kenyon Green was an all-pro. We wanted competition at the position even before we find out that there are injuries. And we knew that there were injuries with Kenyon Green missing OTAs. We didn't know it was as significant as it's a matter of when, not if, that he's going to have to have shoulder surgery. The only person acting like Kenyon Green was an all-pro was Nick Casario guaranteeing Kenyon Green the left guard job despite a shaky rookie season, despite being out of shape, despite being some Somebody who had injuries, as as far as we know, as recently as May, didn't have June OTAs. The only person that was guaranteeing Kenyon Green to be any good was Nick Casario. And in the matter of fact that we learn now today that this has been an issue since May, it's a matter of when, not if, for surgery. It's criminal how he's handled the left guard position. It's a shame because it was something that was... Important for Nick Casario, it seemed. Tunsil, resign him. Okay, I can understand it. Titus Howard, a little overpay, but I can understand it. You trade for Shaq Mason. Okay, I get it. You you reach on Juice Scruggs, according to many people. Okay, I get it. You're trying to shore up an offensive line with a rookie quarterback behind him. Yet you allow Kenyon Green, who's hurt, who had a shaky rookie year, to be the, the lock at the left guard spot. It's ridiculous. It, it really is, and we talk about it over and over again, how general managers will over try to accommodate and and put out players that they've drafted to try and have to avoid having to admit they made a mistake. I, I give the Niners credit for at least admitting that when they made a mistake with Trey Lance, but it was after they tried him over and over again, but they did most of that at practice. But if you're going to take a kid like this and you know that you're feeling pressure or you're acting like you're feeling pressure, the last thing you want to do is put him out there when he's less than 100% to try and prove that he can do something that will make you look good and make the team succeed and protect your franchise quarterback. It's too big of a scenario to have to screw up if you do it wrong, 
to take the chance that he was trying to take, especially when he himself, when you listen to his words, say it was inevitable, it was going to happen. Well, then what are we doing here? Like, what was your what was your window of opportunity? How long did you think it was going to, was he going to be able to last, hold out, and not only just last and hold out, but play at an above average level before something happened. And like you you I could I could listen to the argument that it was supposed to be Michael Dieter. I can listen to the argument. But the flaw in that argument now is you cut Michael Dieter. Like this makes absolutely no sense at all. Uh, Lamont says sound like Green has a grievance by the GM's own admission. I agree, Lamont. Yep. Like I, I again, speaking on the behalf of of Kenyon Green today, I am livid if I'm associated with Kenyon Green. A triple zero two. I am no doctor. Yet how can a professional organization with several medical pros on staff not opt for surgery for a player knowing that it's the only option left? Look, I don't know Kenyon Green's exact situation. It sounds like a shoulder that was maybe hanging on by a thread. Like I don't know. I don't know what why he required surgery. But if it was something that's hap- that's been bothering him since May, it's a matter of when, not if. They knew that it could be operated in May. They decide on August 29th that we're going to go this route. I mean, it seems like organizational malpractice. It, it really does. And when you say it like that, it, it just magnifies. If you're a general manager whether you're worried about the Players Association or not, and you should be. This is the reason why team doctors and everybody's stressing that you need unaffiliated doctors to be dealing with injuries because maybe a team doctor who's tight with the GM or the coach is going to say, it's okay, but he can play. But if you get someone that you need to get people that get in the way, to your point a segment ago, of course Kenyon Green wants to play. Of course he wants to prove that he's he was deserving of being a first-round pick, taking where he was taken, and, and doing what he was supposed to do for this Texas team. And he wants to do it. And he feels pressure in the locker room as well, I'm sure. Yeah. But this is what team doctors are for. This is what training staff is for, to step into the middle of this and say, he can't do this. If you know that at some point this thing was going to go and it was going to be an issue and he was going to need medical attention and an operation... You can't do that to the kid. It should be malpractice. It should be something the Players Association looks into. And this is a negative from a franchise that has tried so hard to be positive, and everybody's scratching their temple going, what the hell are you doing? It's negative with how you treated him. It's negative from a roster-building point of view. Here was Casario. Uh, he was asked, well, look, if this is something that's going on up since May, why didn't Kenyon Green have surgery in May? Yeah, I think he was trying to give him an opportunity to see if it could be able to make it through a long period of time. So I think the issue that he had, like we knew it was going to have to get fixed. So we try to give the players the best opportunity, maybe without putting them at a, you know, a disadvantage or physically, if they're able to endure and what's, you know, go through enough, they can handle it. Great. But if it gets to a point where <laughs> it doesn't allow a player to do their job at an effective level, then it just, in the end, you got to make a determination. So, Instead of kind of hemming and hawing about it, like in the end, it was just, all right, we knew probably it could potentially end up in this situation. So the timing is now. So, all right, we made the decision and we move forward. Didn't you already hem and haw about it? Didn't you already do that by not doing this in May? Like, what are you doing but basically committing some kind of career suicide in front of all of us right now by just admitting how ignorant you were in this entire situation? Like, the other thing is, what was the good to come out of it? Okay, maybe the Texans take the oh, – bear with me here because I know it's a little bit of a stretch, but the Texans take the league by storm. They're playing great football. Everything's starting to click. C.J. Stroud looks good. He's got time. The running game's working, everything like that. All of a sudden, boop, there goes the injury that you knew was coming, 
And now what are you going to do? What's your depth like? What do you got coming up behind him? How big of a problem is is this going to be? Everything about that quote screams to me like you had no care in the world about the kid and his long-term ability to play football for you or anybody else. Your only selfish thought was, can you at least try? Can you give us what you can and then hold out as long as you can and, and tough it out and, and play with as much pain as you possibly can take? Him and Hall, you're right. I mean, he sounded like Kasiri was him and Holland about Kenyon Green having surgery for three months. He said be able to make it through a long period of time with a shoulder that he knows needs to have surgery on it. And he said the best opportunity. They were trying to put Kenyon Green in the best opportunity without putting them at a disadvantage. The guy needs to have shoulder surgery. Left guard is a violent position where you need to lo- use your shoulders a little bit for strength, right? Like you just said, the best opportunity without putting the player at a disadvantage. You put Kenyon Green at a disadvantage and allowed him to be ridiculed for being fat. Allowed him to be ridiculed for allowing a nose tackle to spin right around him. It's I don't like the way the Texans handled this. I don't like how Nick Casario handled this. And here was D'Amico Ryan. This was after the Saints game. This was after the Saints game, which the Texans won, who cares, preseason, where he got asked a question about Kenyon Green, and you can hear like the sympathy, uh, the, the sympathy in D'Amico Ryan's voice. Like He feels bad for the way that this organization handled Kenyon Green. Uh, Kenyon has done a great job of you know, battling through. You know, he's dealing with some things. He's battled through a lot, and it's been tough on him, but I'm proud of Kenyon and what he's battled through that everyone may not know, but tough kid. Right, going through a lot, but he he tried to go every single day, and he pushed it for us. And proud of his effort and what he put out there. He sounds he sounds sad. Like he sounds sad for Kenyon Green. He sounds sad based on like the plan for Kenyon Green. You know, you know why this should be worrisome too, though, Jeremy, because he sounds like a guy that wasn't involved in the final decision. He for all this that that we're hearing about with him being the, 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 the strongest voice in the room now and the guy that's going to be in, involved in all the football operations, and he and Nick, it sounds like a guy that wasn't involved in deciding if this could, if we could just basically write this year off and get this kid the medical attention he needs right away and that now he's put in, in the position of having to speak about a kid knowing what we don't know yet, which is that he's been basically told to go out there and give it your best college try on a pro level with a, a less than 100% shoulder, and we'll see what happens. It's. Am I wrong? It sounds like he didn't. Have, it sounds like it wasn't his decision because there's a lot of remorse. It sounds like in his voice too. Right. Right. Like I. I would hope that he's involved in the decision, but it does sound like he feels that the Texans treated Kenyon Green in a poor way. And how? How did they not? How did they not treat Kenyon Green in a poor way? And what's the positive spin here? Like what is like the biggest Nick Casario truthers that exist? If you are out there, look, and I've, I've defended Nick Casario at times. I've been honest that I've, I've been on the fence with Nick Casario, critical of Nick Casario when it's warranted. Uh, I've been favorable for Nick Casario when, you know, the few times that it has been warranted. What's the positive spin here? Like, give me the, the, the biggest Kool-Aid drinkers. Give me the biggest, you know, battle red, you know, goggles that you have. What's the positive spin with how Nick Casario handled Kenyon Green and then how he handled well, speaking is, about Kenyon Green today? This is what I, this is where I'm focused, not just how he handled him because we already know that that was poor why are you admitting all this publicly because right. all it's doing is taking a massive gasoline can and saying oh you think that this looks bad wait till i speak about it let me throw this can on the fire and watch what we can do here now everybody whether you're in the houston media and you're afraid to ask a question or not you're scratching your temple going come on man he could have had the surgery in may and he didn't 
and you want him to go out there and give you 100% effort on a 65% shoulder or whatever it is, and then you're going to come out all of a sudden and, and have it come to Jesus and just spill the beans and go, yeah, um, he's been dinged up since May. What is the benefit of telling yeah. all of us this now? I want I want you Casario defenders to defend this. I, I really do, because I do not see the defense here at all. 713-780-3776, HRMP listener line. We can carry that over into Texans at four as we count you down to kickoff. Eight shows left, and, and Joe's got some stuff planned for Texans at four as well. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN. 